is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 178 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Jesse Kniff all about writing the best book bl- bl- blurb? Writing the best book blurb you possibly can. Uh, But first to last week's question, which was, if you could have dinner with someone inspirational, dead or alive, who would it be? Kerry Hadiski said, oh man, I don't have just one for this question. There are a ton of historical figures I'd love to talk to. But in keeping this from turning into a novel, I'd say the wives of Henry VIII. Oh, that is a cool suggestion. I love reading about Tudor England and I'm obsessed with the six, the musical... And I'd love to know their sides of the story. Karen Heenan said, Kerry Hadiski, I'm with you. I've written three books set in the era, although talking about historical fiction in Sasha's hearing is risky. And I'd love the behind, this, behind the throne gossip. Erin McKnight said, I would love to sit down to a meal with Viola Davis. Oh my goodness me, yes. She is one tough, smart cookie. I had the opportunity to listen to her speak last year and I would love to do it again. Matt Goodall said, anyone from the Rebel Author Patreon Slack community, because they're all so freaking talented, inspirational, motivational, celebrational. This is what we call the Rebel Show. But seriously, a more positive, empowering, uh, supportive hive of villainy and writerly rebellion you'll not find anywhere. So my pick are the rebels that is lovely thank you matt that's very sweet okay this week's question is i think one that i've asked before but i'm interested in your answers again what book has gotten you out of a reading slump or maybe it is a um series of books i don't know so the book recommendation this week is book lovers by emily henry this is an enemies to lovers uh uh, agent, editor, bookshop owner style uh, uh, enemies to lovers contemporary romance and it is hilariously funny there's lots of excellent banter and it is a very speedy read I really liked it for the dialogue and the banter I highly recommend it uh, purely for that so in personal news and updates then we are just back from Paris we had a four day three night trip we walked about 20,000 steps each day so we're all absolutely exhausted one of the days was at disney and that was lovely and yeah it was it was a really good trip apart from experiencing a little bit of homophobia um we did have some abuse shouted at us which was unexpected to say the least i would say um that happened kind of shortly after we got off the eurostar and onto the metro so that wasn't great but it's also a reminder that um you know this is why important work like you know writing sapphic books is is necessary because the world still isn't a great place (laughs) and whilst there are lots of amazing humans in the world who are kind generous and accepting of um difference there are still some people who are twats (laughs) to put it lightly (laughs) and very british so yeah that wasn't great um and it did happen on two separate occasions as well so we were i mean here's the thing right i've had abuse held at me before and so it's never never i never really you just deal with it, right? Because you sort of expect it. But I was surprised that it happened so rapidly and on more than one occasion in such a short space of time. So that wasn't fantastic. But the rest of the trip was amazing. And we did loads of things. We went to the Eiffel Tower. uh, We went to Sacré-Cœur, Montmartre. We went to the Louvre. We went to Notre Dame, although that was shut. Uh, And and of course, we did Disney. So there were stacks and stacks of things that we did and and got to see some amazing sights. That was a great fun trip. Oh, and we also did the Paris Catacombs, which I was delighted about. That was like the one big thing that was on my um, list. And I got some inspiration for story as well. So I'm very excited. Um, And then in terms of what I'm doing now, I would say I've got three absolutely manic days trying to... (laughs) My inbox. Oh my God fucking inbox is horrific um I just want to hit delete all but there's actually stuff in there that I need to do so I can't um so I need to deal with that and I need to you know just get myself back into the headspace of working so I had more or less a week off now um so I've got some freelance that needs catching up and I've got um AMS 
that's my that's Duchess trying to join in as usual. Um, I've got AMS ads that need dealing with. So mostly it's probably I would say two or three days of dealing with admin and faffing. And then uh, come next week, come Monday, I am going to be working on book two of the Girl Games series, which I'm super excited for because I had the full start in January. I do have 30,000 words that mostly I've thrown in the bin. Um, I think there are a couple of things that I am going to be able to salvage. So I will uh, look to do that if possible. But for the next three or so weeks, uh, I should be, well, I think four after I've finished the admin, I will be working on that. And I'm super excited. And then after that, I get to do a course, which I am crazy excited to do because it's the thing that I'm most passionate about at the moment. So I'm just like full of the buzz and joy and excitement for coming back to work. And, you know, maybe also a little bit, okay, a lot overwhelmed. <laughs> just about how much is, is these doing. Okay, let's move on to Rebel of the Week. So the Rebel of the Week this week is Patricia. Patricia says, I don't know if I have any Rebel stories of my own worth emailing, but here's one about my grandma. My grandma was a secretary in the 1960s in downtown Seattle. For reference, think Mad Men, the TV show. One day her boss had some colleagues over at his office and they were all drinking scotch. My grandma, the only one in the office actually doing their job that day, came into his office to give her boss some paperwork for him to sign. Her boss, a little drunk and probably wanting to seem cool in front of the other men, calls her over to him and puts his hand above her knee. <sighs> uh oh. <laughs> Now, my grandma and her 10 siblings were raised in, by a single mum during the Great Depression. Holy crap. So she was taught to never take anyone's bullshit. I already love this story. So my grandma removed her boss's hand from her knee and left the room. Then left the building and took herself to the most expensive restaurant in the city, where she ordered herself the most expensive steak that meal they offered, along with the most expensive glass of wine. And don't worry, she didn't forget the dessert. After taking her very long lunch, she went back to the office and handed her boss the lunch receipt and told him, you're paying for my lunch and you won't be doing that again. He never did try to touch her again. Probably didn't think he could afford it. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. I love that story. Too fucking right. Who the hell did he think he was? But also, your gran, what a legend. I literally love that. I love when women are super bullshit and just like take no BS attitude. I think it's I think it's amazing. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. It doesn't even have to be your rebellion. It can be someone else's rebellion. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. An enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. I really, really appreciate you. You help to keep the show running. You help to make me feel like what I'm doing is helping and worthwhile. And basically, you're just awesome. So thank you so much. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This week's episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, so I'm going to read a little blurb from Kobo and then we will get on with the episode. As an indie author, it's vital to make sure your books are finding their way to as many readers as possible. From their home base in Canada, Kobo Writing Life works hard to keep customers reading all over the world. Here are some tips that can help your books stand out globally. At Kobo Writing Life, you can set the price in 16 currencies. When you're pricing your book, you should consider how your prices are being shown globally in our store. Is your 5.99 USD price showing as 4.69 in British pounds? Remember, an awkward price can impact your sales, and you might as well round up and make a little more on each sale. Make sure you are manually setting the price in all currencies. You can also use ads to target Kobo's partner stores around the world. From Booktopia in Australia to FNAC France, Kobo works with local booksellers to make sure they're reaching as many readers as possible. We also make it easy for authors to distribute to libraries, publish audiobooks or opt into our non-exclusive subscription program, Kobo Plus. If you want to learn more about this or any aspects of KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, and find Kobo Writing Life on social media.
Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jessie Kniff. Jessie is a professional blurb writer and book blurb coach from Sydney, Australia. A passionate advocate of the indie author community, Jessie has dedicated herself to taking the pain out of blurb writing with her custom blurb writing and critiquing services and two signature courses, Book Blurb Magic and the Spicy Blurb Playbook. When she's not writing or dreaming up the next BBM product, Jessie can be found in high school classrooms with a guitar in hand and has been a regular contributor to the arts pages of one of Australia's most highly respected newspapers for the past decade. On the occasion that she manages to snatch some reading time, she's probably buried in the PG Woodhouse or Agatha Christie. Hello and welcome. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. And just for listeners, uh, then mm, you may find a couple of short delays in this episode because we are experiencing uh, some technical gremlins this evening. Uh, I will try to uh, reduce those as much as possible. Um, so when I read your bio and saw Spicy Blurb playbook and then read BBM, I had to try very hard not to read BDSM. <laughs> Yeah, those two sort of go hand in hand. I've had to meet, like, just saying, saying book blurb magic often just trips people up. I've never had anyone consider that and I love it. I've not, that didn't occur to me before. And I'm like, I can see that. I can totally see that. Uh, Amazing. Amazing. Maybe it's just because I have a filthy mind. (laughs) Okay. Tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yes. So the shortest answer is accidentally. Um, So actually I realized as you were were introducing me that I need to update my bio because this year I am no longer a high school teacher for the first time in my since I was 17. So that's exciting. I am. Thank you. I can now say that I'm a writer when people uh, ask me what I do. So that's super exciting. I'm still getting used to that. Uh, But until recently, I was a music teacher. So I have a very education heavy background. That's where my qualifications are in. Um, But I've always done writing on the side, uh, whether it's for newspapers or just for editing friends' resumes. I've done so much editing and proofreading. uh, And I loved all my sort of academic writing as well. So in 2020, when I had a little bit less work, like a lot of the world, I was like, I'm going to do some writing for for money. I'll just use my day off to write. And so I hopped onto Fiverr and I, my boyfriend had actually recently self-published some books and he'd kind of written the blurbs and we'd been talking about book descriptions and things. And I'd watched him go through that whole process. And I literally just thought, I don't want to get involved in long writing projects for people with lots of back and forth. I just want to write something short. So what if people paid me to write their book description? And I can tell you, Sasha, I legitimately didn't think anybody would. I thought people would be like, um, (laughs) fuck off. I wrote a whole book. I can write the description. Like that's, (laughs) that's 150 words. I just wrote a hundred thousand words. Who do you think you are coming in and asking if you want me to pay you to write the last little bit? Anyway, totally, totally, totally naive. And Fiverr was a really interesting experience because they actually featured my gig after like, I'd only had two orders. Cause they were like, this looks like really high quality work. Your reviews are great. So we're going to assign like a personal, you know, salesperson with you for six months. Like they mentored me and like Fiverr is a pretty competitive place. And I was the top book blurb listing for quite a bit of time. And then I made like a lot more money than I expected to make from it because I was working all hours of the night writing. I was just churning them out. And people kept saying to me, oh my goodness, I've been through five blurb writers. You know, you're the first one who's got it right. And then also they were saying, I couldn't do this myself. And I was just like faced by this outpouring of relief from authors. Like I couldn't believe the amount of relief of like, oh, you've taken this off my hands. I'm so thankful. And I was like, what on earth have I stumbled on? Like, what is this? And Fast forward to the end of 2020, I knew that I was doing some more, um, some more teaching work. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to create a course because I can't be doing this one-to-one all the time. So I created the book blurb magic course and it kind of just went from there. And I mean, I do one-to-one work now, obviously, uh, and I don't do teaching anymore, but the book blurb magic course was kind of where it all kicked off and, um, yeah. So the, the short answer is really accidentally, but I'm so happy I'm here. 
Well, I love that because you were a highly requested uh, guest on the show and and uh, a lot of the uh, patrons have all done your course and you came highly, highly recommended. So I'm not surprised that you became featured with Fiverr. I think that's incredible and that you got kind of mentored through that. That's so cool. What were like your biggest takeaways from that experience? From the mentoring experience or from working with authors on Fiverr? No, the men- well, kind of the mentoring experience. Mm, that was really interesting. I mean, I think it was really cool to have someone actually turn around and say, we've, we've got faith in you. Like you're, you're actually worth promoting and you're working. Mean, obviously Fiber were making money from me as well. So they saw me as a worthwhile investment and particularly as, you know, what I've done this year is quit what a lot of people would see as like a stable nine to five and I'm running my own business. And that's quite a rebellious thing to be doing in this day and age too. Uh, I think it was a really transformative experience to have someone turn around and say, what you're doing matters. And we really want to give you a bigger platform and we really want to help you reach more people. And I certainly wouldn't have got, like I got very, very intensive experience very, very quickly with hundreds of authors in, in honestly just a few months. And that was the whole basis of, of my learning and, and, honing the the craft that I do now so it was it was a huge turning point okay so we're going to talk about blurbs and like the the core work that you do um but before we get into the things that authors should be doing with their blurbs I wondered first if we could talk about maybe the most common mistakes I'm assuming that some authors come to you uh without any kind of uh, blurb at all and some come to you going can you help me fix this um so what are like some of the most common mistakes that you mm. see people making with blurbs yeah this is a a tricky question to answer because there are as many mistakes as there are blurbs. But if I were to narrow it down to a single one that is incredibly common, and this mostly goes for fiction authors, but it can kind of happen with nonfiction as well, is that a lot of authors approach their book blurb like a summary or a synopsis, and they are two completely different things. So just quickly, so that your listeners are aware, a summary or a synopsis includes everything in your story. It's like your entire story on one or two pages. Uh, the spoilers are included and it's basically a really quick way for perhaps someone like an agent to ascertain whether they're interested in your book as a whole. A book blurb is a piece of sales copy that's designed to get your readers interested in reading the book and ultimately wanting to click purchase or read now. Uh, and so it, it serves a very, the purpose is not actually overview it's it, book blurb should be providing an overview of your book it's actually to be tapping into the emotions and getting the reader to resonate with your characters or your story or your ideas and also leaving them wanting more now what happens when authors write a blurb like a summary is that they usually write it like a summary that stops where the spoilers start and that is just like dropping the reader off a cliff. It leaves them hanging, not wanting more. It, it doesn't have the right momentum uh, and narrative arc for a blurb. And you just get this really unsatisfying feeling of, uh, you know, I'm not particularly excited about this book, but I've hit all these plot points. So why isn't my blurb working? And if that's the way that you're feeling or have felt with your blurbs, it's most likely that that is what you have done. And don't feel bad about it because everyone does it. And a lot of the information out there is really confusing. And it's either, oh, just hit the main plot points or you need to be a full-on market copywriter to do this. So give up now. Uh, So if you have attempted to summarize your, your book in your book blurb, don't feel bad. Lots and lots of people do it. And learning how to do that is going to be key in making blurbs a much less painful and more effective experience. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And I think that's one of the first things that we all need to learn <laughs> when we when we approach our blurbs is that there really are differences. And yep. because so many of us are indie authors, we don't really often need the synopsis. Um, and obviously, it's, you know, the marketing copy that we need to focus on. Um, okay, so I've got some questions from patrons. And one of them is from Heather, who says, Okay, where is the best place to start with a blurb for your novel? So obviously we've just talked about kind of the things to avoid. So where do we even start? Mm, great question. And can I just say also, I was super, super bowled over when you were like, this is highly requested by my patrons. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm coming by popular demand. This is new for me. So thank you to everyone <laughs> who requested me on the show. And that is a great question. Um, so 
I should say in book blurb magic, just for anyone listening to this, it can be kind of overwhelming listening to me giving you a crash course in blurbs on a podcast. In book blurb magic, I do actually walk you through every single step of the way. So I promise I'm not going to just like leave you out in the dark. But in a nutshell, what we want to do when we're starting a book blurb is decide on the one thing that it should revolve around. So, you know, a book is long. It has many ideas. It might have multiple themes that you weave together. In a book blurb, we don't have time. We can only pick one. And the most effective book blurbs are those that that revolve around that one thing, that one thing. So in fiction, I often, so my blurb writing process when a client comes to me is they provide me with summary or a synopsis of their book. And it's quite short. I ask for something that's under a thousand words and I, I want like the word vomit version. I want them just like they're sitting down talking to me, giving me dot points of like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. So that's what I work with. And then I have the manuscript there so I can assess tone and answer any kind of like quick questions that I might have about the story. Uh, but I don't read the full book, just, just so your listeners are clear. Um, so what I'm looking for when I'm reading through that summary or synopsis is the one thing that stands out to me, one struggle for the main character, for example. So does this main character always want control but never get it? Or have they always had control but they're about to lose it? Uh, are they good at everything that they do? Are they like, what is, what is their one thing? And, and you, you have to sometimes sit with this a little bit and, and think it through uh, because our characters are complicated. And I know that when you know them deeply, you kind of want to tell readers everything about your characters, but you've got to try and hone in on what would, you know, if somebody bumped into your character in the street, what would their first impression of that person be? Are they loud? Are they intelligent? Are they, you know, really reserved and shy? Are they arrogant? So what's that first impression? Because we need to get that first impression into the blurb up front so your readers can kind of have that experience of bumping into them. And also it gives you a sense of theme to work your blurb around. So if the theme is this character who's losing control for the first time in their life, that is what decides what elements of the plot uh, that you actually include in the blurb. It keeps it focused. Um, and I have a very like specific way of walking authors through how to do this inside the course because it can be tricky, like really tricky to step back and, and take a moment and figure that out. But uh, I was very intentional about that because I wanted authors to be able to not be too close to their story uh, to write their blurb, to be able to step back. Um, but that would be where I would start. Find the one thing. And if you're a nonfiction author, find the one, the greatest benefit of reading your nonfiction book, the, the biggest idea you have, the biggest statement you want to make and work everything in your blurb, your hook, you know, your paragraphs, raising the stakes, everything around that, that one thing. So like, would that be like enemies to lovers, like your main trope, or would it be like the theme or would it like, did you have an example maybe like of like a famous book or, or, you know, like, how would you, how would you, cause I'm sure you'd probably rewrite half of the, half of the famous books out there. Like I'm thinking about <laughs> the Hunger Games. I know when I was coming to like write my own YA, cause I'm not, I'm not doing YA at the moment, but when I was doing YA and I was like looking at all of the trad blurbs and actually they're very, very different to indie blurbs. Um, they're not at all kind of as catchy and hooky. Mm. I don't, don't particularly think as, as some of the, um, I agree. Indie ones. Yeah. So I just wondered if you um, like have an example. I'm really terrible at pulling up examples from like known book blurbs because I'm that person who can't quote film. Like people will quote my favorite film at me and I'll be like, what? Uh, I just very bad head for that. But I can give you an okay, example no from a blurb that I wrote. Yes. Uh, excellent. So the thing with the thing with tropes is there are a lot of enemies to lovers books. So if your whole blurb centers around that as your one idea, that's not necessarily going to make you stand out. So it's, it's more personal to the characters. So for example, uh, with this blurb that I wrote recently, um, the main character is like a professional cosplayer and gamer. She's really like, she's just really good at everything that she does. And while I was reading the synopsis that this author had provided me, I was like, this woman is a pro. And that was the idea that I led with, that she was a pro. In fact, at the first sentence said, blah, blah, you know, is a pro. And then elaborated on that, brought in her, you know, esports prowess, brought in her cosplay interest. And it was, there's a mystery in that book. So I positioned her as, as the right person to solve that mystery. Now, there's lots of murder mysteries, but... 
my focus was on this character's unique skills and unique personality in this particular context uh, because she's, you know, the the main character for a reason. And I wanted to get readers to be interested in her and resonate with her really quickly. So it's usually something that's personal to your characters. It's for the same reason plot is not the most important thing in your blurb, which can sound very counterintuitive and can make people panic a little bit. But if you compare the plots of, I don't know, Star Wars and Harry Potter on paper, a lot of it is is identical. A lot of it is identical, but those are two really different stories because of the characters and the way those characters conduct themselves. So in actual fact, what you want to tap into is the very essence of your main character or characters, if we're talking romance, well, we usually have two, um, and, and put that on show and your trope going to naturally come out because if it's an enemies to lovers and you're going on about how so-and-so hates all men who do this and then that person moves into their proximity and you know they find themselves being attracted to them that's still focusing on the characters but getting your trope in there if that makes sense yeah absolutely um and and i love that it's a chance to kind of showcase that character voice that you spent so long developing as well um and that's Mm. not necessarily something that i kind of really thought about bringing into the blurb Uh, I spent a long time thinking about how you can make the blurb hooky and catchy and kind of like yeah desirable Mm. but not necessarily about putting the character voice in there so that's that's wicked I love that already okay what's like are there are there any structures that one should use for a for a blurb like does it should it be first person third person present tense past tense um is there like a a a a maybe i'll ask the secondary question in terms of like the order in which a blurb should go but yeah so talk about the technical aspects so um in terms of like points of view and things i could talk for about an hour solid on the three different things you've got in there (laughs) So I'm going to try and condense this. So there's there's a few elements. Yes, there's a structure. Yes, there's a tense we should be using. And POV is a whole can of worms that I love talking about. So let's do it. First up, easiest one to answer is that your blurb should be in present tense, regardless of the POV. Uh, It's very strange reading a blurb in past tense because it has this, you you get FOMO. This story has already happened and it doesn't feel like you can join in. So writing your blurb in present tense allows the reader to be like, this is happening right now and I can jump straight into the action. Uh, It feels so much more immediate. And I look, I'm trying to find examples at the moment of past tense blurbs that have worked. And so far I've come up with nothing. So if your listeners have any cool ones, please let me know because I will also say there are always blurbs that break the rules and do it spectacularly well. My job when I'm teaching how to write blurbs is to provide a framework for you guys to work within so that it comes out awesome. Uh, and then as you get more comfortable with those rules, you can kind of play with them. That's part of what I love about my one-to-one work is that I can play with the rules and I can break the rules. <laughs> uh, and and it's really fun. But there is a there is a structure and a formula that you can follow to make sure that your blurb just, just works every time. Uh, but always write it in present tense. I'll talk about structure next and then we can then we can crack open the POV debate. So uh, in terms of structure, there's a slightly different structure for fiction blurbs versus nonfiction blurbs. Uh, and I address both of them in the course separately because they are quite different. Uh, but I just want to clarify when I say nonfiction, I mean, you know, self-help, like manuals, instructional guides, those kinds of things, not creative nonfiction, memoirs, etc. If you've written something creative nonfiction, you're going to follow the fiction book blurb formula. So I should probably rename it narrative and non-narrative book blurb formulas, but I didn't want to sound like I was up myself. So <laughs> we're keeping it nice and simple. <laughs> um, and, in, and you know, nine out of 10 cases, your fiction, your fiction blurb formula is being used for fiction. So, um, okay. So if we're writing a fiction book or a non-fiction book, we always want to start with a hook. So a hook is preferably a singular sentence, but it can be up to two or three very, very, very short sentences uh, that captures the essence of your book and creates a hell of a lot of curiosity. So we really want curiosity to be the, the primary thing that people get out of the hook. And you want your hook to be so readable. If you are stumbling over any element of your hook, if the sentence is too long, if there's a few extra words in there, if there's a weird piece of jargon, get 
rid of it. It has to be like, you know, your 10 year old kid should be able to read it and understand why we're excited for this book. It's, it's a, it's got to be so simple and so seamless. And that is why I spend about 70% of my time writing blurbs, writing hooks, because the hook is the hardest part. Do you, I like to work on the hook first personally. Do you mm. find that there is like a, a tactic to hooks? Because I I found that once I started using tropes in my fiction, so I mean, a lot of people talk about uh, tropes in different ways, but for me, a trope is a um a tool that has innate story structure in it and conflict so like for example enemies to lovers is a true Mm -hmm. or not true i don't want to say true but is a is a big trope because it has story there is a story structure you follow Mm -hmm. whereas one bed is often a scene a smaller kind of scene but with tropes there is conflict baked into the trope and often some of the best hooks are the ones Mm. that really drill down into the core of the conflict is that something that you have seen or like are there other ways to do hooks like I agree with you. It should it should drill right into the the heart of the matter. So yeah, if there's conflict, then it's the conflict. Um, it, hooks can be a great way to signal tropes as well. So I do love that you brought them up. Uh, for example, for an enemies to lovers book, the the hook is obviously going to be about two people who hate each other's guts, and you know the, the one thing that might turn it around. Uh, so yes, you want your hook to cut through to the essence of the book. In doing so. You want to make sure that you don't actually use the hook to impart any crucial information. So don't use names. Don't use jargon. Don't use, don't put information into the hook that the reader can't get anywhere else in your blurb. And the reason is this, and I'm the biggest culprit of this, and I would love to know if any of your listeners are the same. I often skip the hook. If I know that I'm interested in a book and I've like clicked into the cover and I'm like, it's beautiful. It's the genre that I want. I mean, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, I'm and I'm interested in the book. Then I'm. I don't need the. I know, I know. You you want me to get me in the door, but I'm I'm here for the book. So I often and especially like in. I often do this in hard copy if I'm in the bookstore because the hook is you know often formatted bigger, different font, whatever to catch your eye. I'll be like, it's fine. I'm in. Give me give me the blurb. And then if I start the blurb and it's referencing the hook, like the hook is the first sentence of the blurb. I'm pissed because I have to go back and read that hook now and my whole reading flow is off. And this sounds like a really finicky, really stupid thing, but any copywriter will tell you every sentence of, you know, copy should make you want to read the next one, but you shouldn't have to backtrack. You shouldn't have to backtrack for things to make sense. Uh, And so for that reason, I also make sure that every sentence of the, like the beginning of each paragraph of my blurb, mostly just makes sense. Like if they were to skip a whole paragraph, they can jump into that sentence and keep going. Uh, Obviously they would be missing some pieces of information, but it should make sense. So it shouldn't be, you know, starting like not, and you know, and on top of all of that, such and such and such, because then they're like on top of all of what. So that's my pet peeve with hooks is that people will often introduce their character in the hook. They'll put their whole name in the hook. They'll introduce a really crucial piece of information that we need to know about setting or where the character is at the beginning of the story. And then if you just jump into, I guess, what I call the blurb proper, the first paragraph, it it doesn't make sense. So my rule, and I'm like, again, there's going to be blurbs out there that break this rule. So please don't come for me if you find a great example. I love when blurbs break the rules, but... <laughs> If you're a beginner, if you're struggling with blurbs, and I also just think as best practice, because this is what I do for all of my clients as well, the hook should be entirely separate, entirely separate, and it cuts to the core conflict or essence of your story. It should give readers that shiver down their spine like, oh, I, I know kind of how this book is going to feel to read. I think I, I think, I think. So I definitely fucked it for my first lot of books. I think I've done... I think I've ticked all your boxes. So my for for my I'm just starting a new pen name, and uh, funnily enough, the book launched. Yes, I saw that. Super exciting. Oh uh, yeah. So the 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 hook for this one is two enemies, one goal, steal each other's hearts. So I think I, love it. I think that that can't just about That's matches brilliant. all your all your criteria. So I think I'm doing okay so far. I'm doing okay. <laughs> That is brilliant. And do you know what you did really well there that I will say, you know, side tangent, something that a lot of people mess up with. So you've kind of gone for like the three statement hook, which is something I talk about in the book, Blair Magic course as well. Amazing, amazing option. Um, 
what a lot of people get wrong about that is they'll have the first two sentences like relate to each other. And then the third statement is out of left field. It has, it doesn't draw the two together. Um, and so what you've done so nicely is just shown their common goal and you can instantly see like what, what happens with the reader there is they see your characters as two separate entities. And then it's like, this is, you know, they've both got one goal. Oh my goodness. It's they're completely intertwined. And that is so beautifully oh, yeah. done and so important for that style of hook. I love that you were like, I didn't realize I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we don't. <laughs> but you've, you've done that so perfectly and that is, um, yeah, it's it's an awesome hook. So you smashed that one out of the park. Well done. Um, and that is, Don't you know, incidentally, we've got to talk about a, you know, a common mistake that people make with that kind of hook. And I've had to throw away hooks. Like when I've written those, those three statement hooks, I've had to throw out ones where I've loved the first two statements, but I've realized I've backed myself into a corner and there's no way to connect the two with a third statement. Like sometimes that just happens and I've just gone slightly off track and it's devastating, but you've got to throw it out. You've got to make sure that that third statement links everyone everything in together which you did so nicely so that's my little that's my little round about about hooks um and there's a few sort of formulas you can kind of follow but generally speaking like I have some formulas in the course but I also think often hooks are sort of like that flash of inspiration that come to us or what sort of happens when we sit down and we're really intentional about knowing what the one like that's the one thing in your book right is you have these these two characters who have this one goal, stealing each other's hearts, like that cuts straight to the core of your story there. Uh, And so once you get used to finding the core of your story that way, writing hooks becomes simpler. So that goes for fiction and nonfiction. We start with a hook, non-negotiable. Then things get a little bit different for each formula. So in a standard fiction blurb, you're probably going to have about three paragraphs. And I'm going to tell you the exception in a minute because and this links into Spicy Blurb Playbook. But for a standard fiction blurb, you're going to have three paragraphs. The first paragraph is the setup. So we need to know where the character is mentally and physically at the start of the story. And you're probably only going to want to introduce one character in that first paragraph. If you can at all help it, only introduce one character. Names are a lot for readers to process. They kind of take up a lot of cognitive load and you don't want to be bamboozling them in the first paragraph. Second paragraph usually introduces the inciting incident. Uh, And I'm saying usually because, again, there's always blurbs that break the rules, but this is a good pattern to follow. Second paragraph is your inciting incident, gives us another bit of detail. You might introduce the second main character or a secondary character. Uh, You can probably get away with introducing two characters in the second paragraph, depending on how long and complex their names are and whether or not it's absolutely necessary to your story. And then the third paragraph, you're raising the stakes. What what could possibly happen if everything goes wrong? What could happen if everything goes right? Uh, and, you know, tapping into the characters like deepest fears and also the very real world consequences, what could happen. It's always good when raising the stakes to actually give readers a like, you know, this building could blow up kind of stake, not just this person's heart could break uh, because the harsh truth is that readers don't care about your characters yet. Um, obviously if you're in the middle of a series, that's a slightly different thing, but if they're reading a standalone or they're coming to the first book in your series, they don't know your characters yet. It's really hard to care about people we haven't met and spent time with. Uh, and so you always want to try and give them a real world consequence along with the emotive stuff so that it kind of hits a little bit harder. Uh, and then we finish with a call to action and that's the same whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction blurbs. And that can be as simple as click read now to add your Kindle Unlimited library, whatever it is you want to say. It sounds painfully obvious. It's something a lot of authors are really uncomfortable doing. But I always give the example of my apartment building, which has a very, very obvious number on the front, like shiny metal, big in a normal place for apartment block numbers to be. And the amount of times I've had people stop me outside my building in front of that number to ask me where my number building is is ridiculous. So sometimes we just need that in plain view direction of like, hey, this is where you go next. Uh, so that's the fiction structure. Did you want to stop me or ask any questions before I launch into nonfiction? <laughs> um, no, I'm like, what I am going to have to do though is come back and personally listen to this and with a pen and piece of paper. <laughs> well, I will say what makes that a little easier is the link in my bio on Instagram, or if you go to anatomyofabookblurb.com, has my free cheat sheet, which actually 
just spells out the structure for you that I'm talking oh, I love about. That. So if you're Amazing. a visual person like me, anatomyofabookblurb.com or just go to my bookblurb magic Instagram and hit the link in bio. Uh, it's free. And yeah, I've got the fiction and the nonfiction formulas there. So Perfect. you don't have to be like madly scribbling down notes. I should have said that when I started. Um, but yeah, so the nonfiction formula, you're going to have a hook. Your opening paragraph I really like to push pain points. So, you know, if, if, if this is a book about feeling really lost in your, you know, love life, then maybe you really hit home for the reader and really show that you understand them. Like, you know, it's common to feel like this, or do you feel like that? Asking questions is a great way to sort of get them involved. And then second paragraph, you might introduce yourself as an authority on the topic, or if you're not comfortable doing that, or you don't feel like you have enough experience yet, you can just position your book as an authority. You can say in this book, you will learn X, Y, Z, we'll show you this, um, you know, learn these strategies, all that kind of really active language. And then we launch into some bullet points or dot points. The Americans were like all excited when I said dot points, they were like, is this something new? And I was like, no, it's bullet points. I'm so sorry. So I just want to clarify. (laughs) It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just bullet points, uh, highlighting the main benefits features of your book because readers looking for like an instructional manual or something are going to be skimming. You don't have a whole plot to outline. So just give them that information as fast as you can. And then sometimes I put a sentence or two to close it at the bottom, just reinforcing how great their life is going to be after they read this book and then the call to action. So that is the very crash course. But like I say, it's explained in my free PDF. Um, if you'd like to stick that in your fridge or print it out or whatever you want to do with it, that will be your your reference sheet for as long as you like. I love it. I feel like I'm not doing too badly on on your strategy and methods. So yeah, I'm I'm I feel like because I'm always worried. Like when I talk about um, like certainly last time. <laughs> I spoke about blurbs. I had terrible blurbs. So I've like, I've stepped up my game, I think, with blurbs now. I still I still have room for improvement, but I think I'm doing okay. Um, what are some of the core kind of strategies that authors can use to um to write a good blurb? Know your audience would be the first one. And this probably ties into point of view, which I haven't quite touched on yet. And this is an important thing, an important strategy, especially in the romance genre now. So once upon a time, uh, and you'll probably notice that most, if not all trad blurbs are in third person, once upon a time, third person was the gold standard. These days we're getting a little bit more adventurous, particularly in young adults. I actually picked up a crime fiction book the other day that had an amazing first person blurb. And I was like, what is this? I've never seen this in this genre before in like trad publishing. So the rules are definitely kind of loosening up here, but the key here is your audience. So you can safely write a third person POV blurb for any book, regardless of what POV your book is in, because it's still it's still the gold standard. It's still the accepted norm. People generally reading a third person blurb will not assume that your book is in third person because traditionally third person blurbs apply to everything. However, I don't have any hard scientific proof of this, but I've done a lot of talking on social media with in particular, the romance author and reader community. Uh, All I have to do is put up a post and be like, what do you think about first person blurbs? And there's either like throwing up emojis or lots of love hearts. Like people are so (laughs) divided on this. They're so divided. And the reason is, so I think what happened with first person blurbs is that they're increasingly like super, super common in romance, super common. And I think what happened is that you had a lot of, we know that the romance genre really grew in the indie publishing sphere. So I think what happened is that Indie authors wrote their books in first-person POV, which we all love. We love an immersive experience. We love feeling like we're stepping into the character's shoes. And then they were like, I've spent all this time with these characters. I'm just going to write the blurb from the character's point of view as well and let everyone know that it's in first-person POV because that's what they're looking for. And the result was it's now become a bit of a signal, especially in romance circles, that if you want a first-person POV book, you're looking for a first-person POV blurb. This is new. This is not the norm. So if you're confused, uh, that's fine. So was I a year or two ago. Um, But what readers are increasingly saying to me is that if they see a third person blurb, 
they scroll on past because they want a first person book. Now that's not every reader. That's not all of the time, but it's worth knowing. And you could even, if you have a big enough audience, poll them and ask them, it's worth knowing what your readers are looking for. It's worth experimenting. If, if the first person blurb doesn't work, try a third person or vice versa. Uh, if I do write a third person blurb for first person books, I often say that it's first person at the bottom of the blurb. I'll be like, you know, such and such title is a dual first person or a first person POV, blah, 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 blah. So you've got that keyword in there and also readers can clarify. Um, but this is kind of a new trend. So, and I do think POV of blurb makes an enormous difference to how well your readers are connecting to your blurb and ultimately your book. So I do think my first strategy would be make sure that you know your audience and what they're looking for. Spicy Blurb Playbook was created and it's not currently on sale, but possibly once this uh, podcast goes live, it will be because it's relaunching on Valentine's Day on the 14th. Um, So Spicy Blurb Playbook is a course that I made specifically for romance authors so that I can teach you how to write first person blurbs that don't suck because the reason so many people hate them is because a lot of first person blurbs come across really cringe. And the reason is that if someone walks up to you in the street and starts talking about themselves, like, oh, I thought that I was done with men, but now that I've met so-and-so, I'm kind of rethinking. I feel like you're probably going to go, I don't care. I've never met you. I I don't know who you are. Please go away. Uh, It's much harder to get plot across and, and those key details across naturally in a first person blurb, because it also has to sound conversational, but there is a way to do it. Yeah, Um, I, sorry, I was just going to say, I think typically I've fallen on the side of this is cringe. Um, Oh, yeah. But I have to say, when they're done correctly, they can be much hookier, I think, than than a third person. But I I don't know how you do that. (laughs) It also depends on your characters. Like, I honestly, I still play it on a page case-by-case basis unless the author has specifically requested a first-person blurb. I read their synopsis, I look at their manuscript, and I listen to the characters' voices. Sometimes sometimes there are characters you don't want to let loose in the blurb. I had somebody comment that. She's like, I would never let my main character tell the blurb. That would be a disaster. So, like, you can sort of – I I very much – sometimes when I read a synopsis, I'm like, this character is begging to tell the story. And other times it's like, you know what, there's, there's a fair bit of plot going on here. I'd rather get this across more organically in a third person blurb, but I will always, especially for romance, I will always put at the bottom. That's a first person book so that people know what they're in for. Uh, One thing you should never do just before I get too carried away is never, ever, ever write a first person or a dual first person blurb for a book that is not in those POVs. So while third person blurbs apply to everything, the reverse is not true. If you are writing anything other than a third person blurb, please make sure that it matches the POV of your book or people are going to be pissed. Um, you know, they're already confused as it is, it appears, because the rules are changing. So we're trying to make it as as straightforward as possible for them. Um, in terms of getting story across in a first person blurb, like I say, it took me a while to figure out how to how to teach this, and this is part of the reason I'm relaunching the course because I launched it about a year and a bit ago, and I got really good feedback on it, but people wanted more examples, and I was like, yes, we need more examples. So in this version of it, there's a lot more of me like giving you play-by-play breakdowns of exactly what goes into a first-person blurb, and it's actually a lot more complex than I thought it was going to be. So when I broke down what I was actually doing, I was like, oh, my goodness. There's a lot in here and it is a different structure to the three paragraph fiction blurb that I just talked about. There's much shorter paragraphs in first person blurbs that kind of almost written like poems sometimes, like single lines and stuff for emphasis, which is really fun and really creative, but it can also be really daunting when you get in there. On the flip side, it's much easier to decide what information goes into a romance blurb because romances are just by nature, especially with the tropes, more formulaic stories plot-wise. I'm not talking about characters. There's obviously lots of individuality there, but you know, we're looking for our comfort tropes. We're looking for our comfort formulas. And that means it's easier to pull that information out of your book and know where it belongs in the blurb. Yeah, I, I completely agree that this, this last blurb, because I wrote because it's a fantasy romance, I found it considerably easier um, to mm. write the blurb just purely because there were tropes that I could pull on and they do give you that inherent conflict and and kind of aspects to pull on. Um, when I was like with my first series, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh. 
<laughs> but because I was like trying, you know, I just wanted like the whole creative. It's like my art and my baby. And I, I still love the first book. Like it mm. still was the story of my heart, but I can't really tell you what it's about. <laughs> so no wonder I can really. <laughs> write Do you know, I've actually had authors come and this hasn't happened like heaps, but uh, authors have come to me after taking my course and been like, oh my gosh, Jesse! I did book blood magic and I realized there's a massive hole in my book and now I'm changing my plot and it's so much better. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but also yay. Yeah. Um, because when you sit down to write the blurb and this is an important point, your book should be finished. Like it should be, it should be one of the last things you do. Cause I have written blurbs for people before. And then, you know, one thing's changed in the final edit. And then they're like, oh, the nuance in the blurb isn't quite right. Like that details off. And sometimes that it's like a domino effect. It fucks your whole blurb. Like changing that one sentence, you're like, oh, Oh, now I've used that word there and there as well. And we can't double up on that. And now that bit doesn't make sense. Like it, it's really, it's really hard to change a blurb once it's written. It's a, it's a pain. It's a real pain now. So uh, try to make it one of the last things you do. Uh, and then, I mean, yeah, you might realize that there are some holes in your story. If you're, if you're a new author, probably the more seasoned ones, I think have kind of been like, nice all that coming. <laughs> okay. So um. Uh... There's a couple of things, because I realise like we're already running up on time, but there's a couple of really important things that I still want to um, cover. So the first one is um, from another patron, LK um, Latham, who says, or, or Latham, I think her surname's Latham, um, um, there seems to be some controversy on triggers and warnings for fiction. Mm. Um, is this something that an author should put into their blurb should it be on the sales page um or do we just do not put it there and direct readers somewhere else that's such an interesting question uh i actually have a whole video on this in spicy blurb playbook because i sat down with one of my editors uh, editor friends and was like can we talk about this because trigger warnings are just such a thing especially in romance but increasingly in other genres now and i think it's wonderful that we're having these conversations and that we're acknowledging that people shouldn't necessarily be blindsided by heavier material in books. I, I think I've, I've definitely had the experience of being blindsided by really heavy stuff happening in books quite unexpectedly. And depending on what point I've been at my life, sometimes that's been quite unpleasant and there's been no trigger warnings. So I think this is a really new thing. I think it's really cool, but I also understand that it's, I kind of feel sorry for authors. Like it's a bit, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stress. And in particular romance authors are just, kind of expected at this point to list all of the triggers uh, before readers jump into their books. And it's this, it's really interesting um, handing of responsibility to authors. It's like, well, it's now your responsibility to warn people of stuff that might offend or upset in your book. So, and I, I do, I've, well, I think it's an important thing. I also feel for authors because I, I've sort of spoken with authors who've felt stressed and worried about it. Uh, what? Like, like I say, there's, there's no sort of current rules. So what is most common, there's kind of two things. So either a list of triggers at the end of the blurb. Uh, so obviously if you've written your blurb well, readers should know kind of what they're in for, like how, how dark perhaps your book is. They should be getting a sense of just how serious things are or whether it's lighter. Uh, but you're not going to specifically necessarily reference a whole bunch of triggers in the body of your blurb. It's probably not going to work and it's probably going to be strange in the flow of things. So I will usually put a sentence or two at the bottom of the blurb before the call to action, uh, just saying a few of the triggers or the other the other option is to say for a full list of, you know, trigger and content warnings, please see the front matter of the book and then and then authors put their full list of trigger and content warnings inside of the book whatever you choose to do I think it's important that there is something at the end of the blurb that either gives them the triggers or directs them to where to find out about the triggers because especially in the age of you know Amazon people aren't necessarily picking up a book and flicking through and seeing the front matter. Mm -hmm. So they could go as far as buying a book. They could, you know, like when you buy a book on Amazon or Kindle Unlimited, you can skip straight to the first chapter. So you can skip all of that front matter. And that means that they're not guaranteed to see it. So I think if your book is dealing with heavier content that may be triggering for readers, it's really wise to put a warning somewhere where they're going to see it before they even open the book, whether that's to say open the book or whether that's actually to give them a full list of triggers. Depending on the triggers, uh, you know, if there's only like one or two 
I'll often just list them at the bottom of the blurb. Uh, if there's a whole, I mean, I've written blurbs for authors who have two pages of trigger and content warnings for their books. Uh, and sometimes they just list it on their website and they say, go to www.blah to, for a full list. Uh, but I do think that's, that is becoming an, an increasingly more important thing to do. Where we draw the line is really interesting. And and I had this conversation with uh, my editor friend because she was like, well, I was editing a book where somebody had a heart attack and the author was like, do I do I put heart attack as a trigger? Because that could be potentially traumatic to someone. It's really, really difficult to know where to draw the line. And I would recommend that you speak with your editor to get recommendations on what should be trigger warnings for your particular genre. Mm. And if you're really concerned, I mean, you could potentially be asking your your beta readers as well uh, if they're, you know, open to reading something without trigger warnings first and suggesting trigger warnings or whatever. It's really got to be a bit of a consultation thing and it's probably going to be a difficult thing to get perfect first try. So kind of be open uh, to to that kind of feedback, but also be really transparent about where readers can, can find those trigger warnings. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Um... Another patron, Laura, asks, well, she kind of talks about the fact that it's hard to condense a book, which we've we've covered. But um, the art of getting a good blurb is keeping it succinct and hooky, but also conveying the vibe of the book. Um, And she mentioned that she has been frustrated in the past with blurbs that promise something and then don't really deliver that, which I find interesting because once I open the book, um, I'm the opposite of you. I'm, I will read the hook, but I won't necessarily read the blurb. Um, and if the hook is hooky enough, I'll open the, open the first page. And then if the first page is hooky enough, I'll continue reading. Um, so, and then, but the part of that is that I then forget, I don't have a clue what the blurb was, but I know obviously lots of readers do go cover blurb first page. Um, so, uh, anything, any any advice really on ensuring that you are being truthful with the contents in terms of like uh, um, the blurb, but also making it hooky enough to actually get readers into the into the first page? Mm. It's a, so a really interesting thing happens. So if you're writing your own blurb, uh, a really interesting thing often happens. Authors try to take off their author hat and write in a different voice. Often we get self-conscious, we get, we start overthinking about how our book will be received or how the blurb should be received. And we ultimately often disconnect with, and I just keep going back to using the word, the vibe, the vibe of our book, right? That's always what I'm aiming to capture as a blurb writer as well. So it's really important to actually be in touch with your author self as you're writing the blurb and make sure, because what happens then is that your word choice changes. So make sure that your word choice is consistent with the tone of the manuscript and the tone of you as a writer. Don't use words that your characters wouldn't use. Don't uh, don't make it overly formal if that's not the way that you write and not the style of, of the book. Try to match the tone of the blurb as much as possible to your book. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it should sound like a page ripped out of your manuscript, but it it's mostly vocabulary choice, I find. I find that when authors are feeling self-conscious and trying to write a really inverted commas professional blurb, their vocabulary completely changes and it starts to sound generic. So catch yourself if you think you're doing that and really tap into how you would describe this book. And obviously, like I say, the blurb is a piece of sales copy. We're being perhaps a little more formal than you would be if you're sitting down and telling your friend over coffee what your book is about. Uh, But essentially it should still sound like you and the word choice is how we do this. I actually did a post on this recently on my Instagram about whether your blurb voice should match your author voice. And I kind of likened it a little bit to coloring in. So essentially people are going to choose different ways to color between those lines. They're going to have different color palettes. They prefer different shading techniques. And each of those pictures, if you were to put them all up on a wall, and I'm sure you've seen this in like, you know, a kid's coloring competition, everybody makes different choices. And that's ultimately what your blurb should be like as well. You're given the lines. I can give you though that sort of little framework, but make sure you're still using your words in in the tone, tone of your manuscript. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Like I definitely have made that mistake in the past and tried to make blurbs too um, generic and 
not me sounding um Mm. and I might even go back and tweak my blurb now and try and make it a little (laughs) bit more me I think it's definitely better than um any of the blurbs that I've done before um Mm. but yeah I think I can still make it a little bit more (laughs) a little bit more a little bit how exciting yeah exactly um and this is the awesome thing about blurbs is that you can always change them you can always tweak them it's I know that once it's on your back cover it's on your like the physical back cover but but for Amazon you know most people are going to be reading the digital version so I've had authors who've made tweaks to the digital version and not the back cover and it's had a significant impact because most people are reading it there so that's the exciting thing you're not it's not locked in in stone as soon as you write your blurb you can experiment with it and it should be experimented with Absolutely. Okay. Last question. Um, before I ask you the ultimate po- podcast question, any <laughs> advice for dual points of view? Yes. Don't say the same thing twice from two different perspectives. <laughs> that is, and that's something that I'm covering in Spicy Blur Playbook as well. Uh, you you actually have the opportunity to further the narrative so much more with two people because if you think about, uh, and I'm talking about romance because that's generally where we see this, but you could conceivably use it in, I've seen it in fantasy as well, uh, but two people's experience of one situation is going to be different. And also if you think about most romance stories, it's not like it's necessarily love at first sight for both people. Both people have a different moment when they fall for the other person or at the very least even if it's the same moment it's a different reason so so often I see you know first person dual blurbs that are kind of like talking about the moment their eyes meet and what she sees and then you know the moment when their eyes meet and what he sees and I'm like I don't care because I've already heard it from one perspective and it's the same thing and also two people aren't possibly going to be thinking kind of that almost exact same thing at the exact same time. So even if they are, even if your characters are so on the same page that that, that's what they're doing, uh, find the difference and actually use the second uh, POV to further the narrative. And similarly in a non-romance context, I mean, it's probably a little easier because if you have a dual POV for a fantasy book, for example, often they're like two completely separate POVs. You're switching chapters and maybe those two characters don't even know each other. In which case, again, you're going to want to look at which character should go first in the narrative. Like who's the best character to introduce the beginning of the story and let readers know where we are and who's the best character to up the stakes and kind of give us more of the, of the juicy parts. And that's going to be really individual depending on your book. I can't give you a hard and fast rule for that, but it's something to think about, but do not waste the real estate by saying the same thing twice from a different person's POV. It's not interesting. Yeah. And that goes for the content in the book as well. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. I love this question. Uh, And I was thinking about, I feel like BBM is a little bit of a rebel brand because I focus very much on listening to authors and prioritizing them. And a lot of the time in the blurb writing sphere, I think people can get caught up in, oh no, we're the blurb experts and, you know, the authors don't know what they're doing. So I feel like a rebel all the time. But one time when I really, really staked my claim was I was listening to a podcast with someone who's been in the blurb industry longer than me, said something I completely disagreed with. Uh, and I was like, you know what, I'm not going to name names, but I can't have this information floating around because it's, it's not true for everyone. It's really not. And that's how it was presented. And I hopped on Instagram live and just did like a, like a little ranty rant about how this, this was not true for everyone. And that if you were feeling that way, or if you've been told that, then you shouldn't be, it's okay. It's fine. And so for me, I mean, I'm not naturally a very rebellious person for me. That was a pretty, that was a pretty rebellious thing to do. Jump on Instagram live and have a rant and state my claim. And I had such a positive response and I felt so glad that I was able to reflect a different perspective to people and make them feel heard. So that's my rebel moment. No, I love it. And I love that it's giving out like information. And also I love anytime anyone like question something that's said as a as a blanket <laughs> statement because so much yeah. so like we don't mean to say these things and we can say them so factually that people end up believing mm. them and then mm. feel disempowered so I love that your rebellion was about empowering others I think that's brilliant tell <laughs> everyone where they can find out more about you and anything and your services and anything else that you'd like to add 
Uh, well, I hang out way too much on Instagram. I'm not a TikTok person. So Instagram all the way. The handle is just at bookblurbmagic. Uh, you can grab my freebie at the link in bio or you can head straight to anatomyofabookblurb.com. Once you're on my list, I send out blurb tips like three to five times a week. You can unsubscribe anytime if that's not your jam, but I do try to always bring you the latest and greatest things that I'm learning. And I, I sort of spill a lot of uh, nuance in those emails that maybe I don't put onto my Instagram content and whatnot because it can be more easily misconstrued. So I'd love if you join my email fam. It's it's someplace where I feel like I can really personally connect with my audience. You can also head to bookblurbmagic.com to browse my courses. And as of Feb 14th, if you head to spicyblurbplaybook.com, you'll be able to buy the Spicy Blurb Playbook as well. And if you use the code REBEL, you can get 10% off all of my services and courses. I also will write your blurb for you. I do one-to-one blurb audits where we sit down and work on your blurb together. Whichever stage of the blurb writing process you're at, I have something I think that can support you. So I would love to meet you wherever you're at and and work together. Um, So I think, yeah, I think they're all the links, but don't forget the code REBEL, 10% off everything. Incredible. Thank you so, so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Jesse Kniff, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Clayton Noblet, and we're going to be talking all about publishing trends for the future. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.